0: Welcome to the Shifting Our Schools podcast, where we believe learning never stops. We create innovative and flexible professional development opportunities that support the current research and thinking in education today. This week's podcast episode aspires to set you up to take another step forward on your personal learning journey. Now here's your host, Jeff Udick.
1: Well, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Our Schools. I'm your host, Jeff Udick. I hope this episode finds you safe and healthy. Today, we are talking about what I believe to be the number one key to student success, classroom culture. I'm so excited to have a few incredible educators weigh in on this topic. And if you are a longtime listener of the show, you know the drill. This episode corresponds with a free guide we have for you. The free guide is called Co-Creating Classroom Culture. And that guide is rich with ready to roll resources to help you not just focus on classroom culture, but create a blueprint for a strong classroom culture alongside students. As always, that free guide can be found over at shiftingschools.com. Hit the resource tab and find our free library. We love featuring voices from our community on the podcast. And if you would like to add your voice, your reflection, your thoughts to an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear from you as well. In our newsletter, there is a form you can fill out that has some of our upcoming episode topics, so make sure you are on our newsletter mailing list. You can do that by simply filling out the form at shiftingschools.com or by downloading this week's free guide, Co-Creating Classroom Culture. When you download any of our free guides, we ask for your email address for a couple of different reasons. Number one, to make sure you don't miss out on any of our free guides by subscribing to our newsletter. And number two, for us to track which downloads seem to be the most popular. So if you are in a place where you can pause this episode now, do that and head over to shiftingschools.com and hover over resources and click on resource library, where you'll find over 50 free guides, all with plug and play resources to help support you and your students. If you download the co-creating classroom culture guide that goes with this episode, you'll be all set as we dig in. If you are not in a place where you can stop what you are doing, like, you know, driving, maybe out for a run or out for that walk, that's okay. Just make a mental note to download Co-Creating Classroom Culture when you get back. I know we keep going over this but we make these free guides for you. So I just want to make sure you know where you can find them and please use them. They are free and we release them under a 4.0 Creative Commons license, which means you can take them, adapt them, change them to fit your needs. We just ask that if you do so, you give the original credit back to ShiftingSchools.com somehow, some way. That's it, free guides that you are allowed to customize for your situation in your classroom. Speaking of free, I am proud to announce we have a brand new sponsor of the podcast. And folks, you know that every sponsor we've had on the program is a company I believe in and a company that I see truly bringing something to us that will have a real impact on student learning. The new sponsor is called TRACT, T-R-A-C-T. And if you haven't heard of them and you are passionate about project-based learning, you're going to want to pause the episode and head over to TRACT.app. That's T-R-A-C-T dot A-P-P. TRACT is where the next generation of changemakers and leaders come to solve the world's biggest challenges. I had a conversation with Ari, the founder of TRACT, and what I love about what TRACT is doing for project-based learning is that they are truly student-centered, and they see the enormous potential for a creativity and activism that we know our students have two of my favorite things that I like about Tracked right off the bat. Number one, reading through their privacy policy, you'll find that they are COPA compliant, meaning you can use it with students under the age of 13. Yeah! FERPA compliant and a whole lot of other compliance that we look for in student-centered websites. If you're a classroom teacher and you don't know about COPA and FERPA, that's okay. Just know that these are our different laws that we have to follow. And Tract meets them all. It's, it's fantastic. So right away, your IT people will be, ex- will be excited that you have found an app uh, that meets the, the regulations that we need to follow in education. Number two, they are creating a space that allows students to share their work publicly, but in a student-safe way that only other students inside Tract can see their work. One of the biggest challenges we have when we're talking about project-based learning being authentic is having a space for students to share their work safely with others. Well, Track has set out to solve that problem in an interesting way. Friends who know me well know I'm not much of an Instagram user, but I have to admit the stories that Track is sharing there in their Insta account have captured my attention. So if you are on the Insta, as I believe the kids call it today, give them a follow. We're excited to have them as a new sponsor of our podcast in the coming months. We'll talk about different ways TRACKED can be used in your project-based learning classroom. You can check it out for yourself for free. Oh yeah, it's free. Check it out by going to teach.track.app. That's T-E-A-C-H dot T-R-A-C-T dot A-P-P. And using the access code, shifting schools. Of course, you can find all this information in our show notes of this episode, as well as over on our website. Thank you, Track, for being a sponsor of Shifting Our Schools. We really appreciate it. All right, I'm so excited to get to today's episode. This is going to be a kaleidoscope of ideas for how we see our learners as leaders for classroom culture. In the free guide, the first of five ideas for ways to do this provide you with two shifting school templates to get students thinking about how they might both contribute to the classroom learning environment as well as speak up for their own needs. We know learners are not only needing to grow as independent individuals who need to come to understand how to advocate for themselves, but in a school we also want them to learn how to ask for help from others and how to see their peers as potential teachers. What I love about these templates is that they are the start of a conversation that we can return to in small group dialogues or one-on-one conferences. I could go on and on about those resources, but I want to be sure to save space today for our amazing lineup of contributing educators who share their unique perspectives on how we co-create teams in our classrooms and our PLCs and maybe even beyond. First, we'll hear from Shay Asensio, a longtime educator and consultant who specializes in service learning. You can connect with her on Twitter, and I'll let you know we have the Twitter handles of all our guests in the show notes for you. Here's Shay.
0: Hello, I'm Shay Asensio from CBK Associates, and it is my pleasure to share with you today some ideas to build and sustain a team. I specifically want to share with you uh, the personal profile, which is under the investigation stage of the five stages of service learning. You've probably heard about it before. Uh, what it does is that it allows you to know who is in the room with you, you know, who are those people that you're working with. And note that this can be used with students from um uh, early years all the way to uh, the senior students. And of course, this can be transferred to any collaborative setting with both the students and teachers, and even people that work outside of the educational environment uh, use it as well. So yes, going back to knowing who is in the room, uh, you want to know what are those people's interests, talents, skills, strengths, and areas for growth. Um, This is a dynamic process and you can unroll it by interviewing each other if you are together or you can use a, if you're in the digital or virtual environment, you can use a common platform to share this information. And once you know those people's talents, skills, strengths, interests, and even areas for growth, you'll notice that uh, you begin to tap on each other's knowledge. You begin to uh, know who is really good at doing what. So for example, I've seen in teams uh, with older students, you know, they're quite good with uh, digital work, such as design, graphic design, or some are, are, love to be um, on stage, you know, presenting. So they know who to go to, to uh, do that task. But also as opportunities present throughout the, you know, working collaboratively, uh, they encourage each other, you know, to step out of their comfort zone and strengthen those areas for growth. Uh, So it's, yes, you're using your strengths, you're using those skills that you know you're very good at, but there's also those opportunities uh, to grow as a learner, as a person. So it's, this is a wonderful dynamic learning process that you can use to strengthen your team and sustain it. And notice that every time you go into a different context or situation, you might not put forward the same talents or skills that you put in a different context. So this is also very interesting to, to note and uh, to be aware of. I hope uh, this was helpful.
1: I love that Shay talks about really knowing the talent and interests of others. This is how we help students build networks. The idea is none of us have to be amazing at everything, but that we bring our own strengths and we seek out the strengths of others. So powerful. Up next, we hear from an educator out of Germany who is going to talk about what a successful PLC needs.
2: My name is Christina Pinel gotze and I currently work at Berlin Brandenburg International School in Germany. At this school and within my context, there are a number of staff members who are passionate about diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice work. And as a result, we formed our own professional learning community and we call ourselves the DIJAR Collaborative. One of the reasons why our group is so successful, at least in terms of thriving and ensuring we hold each other accountable, is because we share a common goal. And that goal is also aligned with the school's mission and guiding statements. So we are all very focused on doing the learning and unlearning ourselves as teachers and as colleagues before we then implement different strategies within our classroom and within our contexts, because uh, the group is made up of a number of staff ranging from the early education program right through to the diploma program. Now, on top of sharing a common goal, which we always align ourselves with at the beginning of every meeting, we have very structured agendas that are in place before we meet every week. And not only do we do this to ensure that we remain on topic rather than getting sidetracked, though we are very flexible, one of the main reasons we are so successful as a group is because we hold each other accountable within our meetings. So we don't have one specific leader who does this. We all take on that role of facilitator, of timekeeper, of the person who tracks equity of voice within our meetings. And at the end of every meeting, we always ensure that there are actionable items based on each of our agenda items. I think one of the main reasons we are so successful is just ensuring that we have this distributive leadership style within our professional learning community. No one person takes the lead of the entire group. We are all accountable to one another. And on top of that, we, we recognize that not everyone has the same capacity of doing things all the time. So if some of us have to take a step back, Others in the group will step up and make sure that they contribute more. Um, And at the same time, we recognize that that then goes in cycles. But one of the main reasons I would say that we are so successful is just ensuring that this this distributive leadership style is present in all of our meetings. And we hold each other accountable all the time.
1: Quote, we hold each other accountable in meetings. I just had to repeat that from Christina because it is huge and I love that she says that this isn't about a single leader doing this, but that this is a group agreement. The next time you are in a meeting, take a look at how your collaboration is based on a shared leadership style or not. It is worth not only noticing, but questioning and exploring. Next, we turn things over to a director of professional learning who talks about humility. Here's Tim Bray.
3: Every team needs to have uh, trust and respect. You Can't really play or be a contributing member of any type of team unless you trust the other people and they trust you and you have respect for each other. And beyond that, I think uh, something sometimes people miss when they, when they work with a team is They don't realize you need to have a certain amount of vulnerability. You need to kind of give up control sometimes, um, allow other people to be the leader, have the vision. Um, You you check your ego at the door and, and then the team can work. The team can function and everybody has complementary skills. And so, if it's your turn to be in the lead because you're the person who has the best skills in that, great, then lead. But when you're, somebody else's skills are clearly more developed in an area, then step back. I was thinking when I was at KIS and I worked at the EdTech team there, we had Art Schultz who was our, our graphic design artist and he was amazing. And so I didn't try to compete with him on those skills. Like I just used those skills. I learned a lot from him because of that. Um, I was sort of the English ed tech guy. And so usually when something was about like, oh, how would this look in language arts? People turned to me and asked, what would you do as language arts teacher? Um, Steve Katz was our social studies guy. Chris was our science person. And Ben Summerton was also uh, English and social studies, but he was super great with things like spreadsheets and stuff that I had no idea about. So that was an opportunity for me to learn how to develop my skills in that area where I never had before and so that idea that being on a team when you're part of a a group like that you you need to be able to check your ego like I said and just accept the fact that hey right now I'm not the smartest person in the room I'm not the most skilled person at that somebody else is I'll let them lead the way and then when it's my turn that my skills are the ones that are, are, are out front, then, then they turn to me and they let me lead. And that's how you can develop a team feeling of a really productive team. Like that's how a productive team really builds is by using everyone's skills and accessing them and acknowledging the other people's skills and saying, yeah, I know you're better at this. And so I'm going to let you lead this this time where we're at in this point.
1: Next up is a consultant organizer, and just an inspiring person to follow, Sabrina Joy Stevens. You'll find the link to talks she offers for schools in the show notes. Here's Sabrina.
4: So when I think about what it takes to make a collaborative team that really works, that can really thrive and actually accomplish any of a number of things, whether that's a group of students trying to create a, you know, A successful project, or a group of teachers and principals and administrators trying to create a successful school—really, any team of any kind—it really takes building a diverse community of equals. So, a community where everyone's expertise, everyone's varying points of view are acknowledged and honored, because we recognize that it takes all of those different views and those different types of skills in order to create what we want to. Uh, So it looks like making it safe for everyone to share their, their expertise and their contributions. It looks like making it safe to object when something is going wrong or when something's problematic. It means making it safe to slow down when things are moving too fast. And it really just means understanding that there's not really such thing as the best at anything so much as that there's what's best for. And so who is best for making decisions of this certain situation not yielding or uh, submitting to any one person's ideas just because they're in charge or because they have more positional power or cultural power or social power in the, in the building, but because they're a person whose expertise really matters and is really relevant to what's going on. So sometimes the most uh, you know understanding that everyone is going to have something to contribute there and really actually honoring that, doing it for real, not just for show, because people can tell the difference and they will hold back their expertise if they think that this is just a a charade as opposed to a genuine opportunity for input. So I think as we go into, you know, any situation thinking about what does it mean to make sure everyone feels safe to share and that we are really hearing from every single type of person as well as every person whenever possible is so important.
1: Such an important question there. Is it safe? to slow down when things are moving too fast. I love that Sabrina brings that to the forefront. I know I've been in that situation, even as an adult learner, where I felt like I couldn't bring up what was happening in regards to the pace. And we need to realize that safety and feeling appreciated matters at every single level of our schools. Now, we're gonna turn it over to Dr. Sadie Hollins, who reminds us of the power and potential of questions.
5: So to just share some of my thoughts on creating a collaborative environment. For me, creating a collaborative environment is a space where you can learn from everyone. And I genuinely mean that. I think, you know, time and time again, I've learned so much from students. So things I never saw before, a different way of understanding a particular situation or whatever it is, I think you really have to be open to the fact and self-reflective enough to know that and um, whatever level of expertise you have, um, there is always something to learn from the people around you. Uh, and I think alongside that, it's also acknowledging when people make a good point. It doesn't matter how much conflict you have with someone, if you disagree with them 99 percent of the time, when they make a good point, like really make sure you make a point of um, acknowledging that because i think that's so powerful in building bridges with people that have differences of opinion um and those differences of opinion are genuinely really healthy like there is a healthy way of having conflict and i think that um comes out of you know giving respect um when when it when it's due for sure um i also think it's about Asking questions and seeking clarifications about any suggestions that have been made. So whether that's from students in your class around a particular, you know, a way that they'd like to change the class, or whether that's in your department, I think that process of asking questions um, shows that you're engaged in their ideas, and it's not just about showing it, but it it helps to um, show that you really want to take those uh, those ideas on board, and that you want to figure out a way together of Um, implementing things and moving things forward by taking on their their suggestions and I think that the last piece to me uh, for me in terms of creating a collaborative environment is around trust and you know trusting that um, it's not about blind trust you know I think people should be held accountable but I think genuine trust uh, gives space for people to do that so um, you know an environment should be constructive you know healthy conflict is is good but it should always have um growth at the center but um more on top of that it should have people at the center of it and related to that I think it's really important to always hold people in positive high regard um, something that's such a game changer for me is is actually a quote from someone that my my boss used to use but I really felt that he applied this to me and I reap the benefits of his approach, and that was to treat people the way they uh, treat the people the way they are, and they stay that way. Treat people the way they can become, and they become that way. Um, so, as I say, always give people space to prove you wrong, you know, and to really um, run with their ideas, run with their skill set, and genuinely give them a the chance to grow.
1: I'm just going to repeat what Dr. Sadie Holland says there: quote, give people space to prove you wrong. End quote. That's so important. I've actually added that quote to my journal. So thank you, Dr. Hollins. Next up, we hear from an educator out of higher education, Norma Garcia.
6: Hi, I'm Norma. I'm an English teacher at a university in Mexico City. For me, creating a a collaborative environment in my classroom means understanding, respecting, and celebrating the complexities of each student's identities as well as creating a team's identity with clear and achievable objectives. In my experience, the little steps make the change. For example, asking about pronouns, names, how they want to be called in class, their expectations of the class and what they are bringing to the group. When students know they can be themselves freely, they open up better about their needs and goals, which will lead us to agree on a common goal for the class. As a team, we create the rules together by asking what every person needs for their learning process and what they can offer or do to help others in theirs. So for example, we do this initially when we establish the basis for our team dynamics, but we make sure to revisit them later and as many times as we need to see what has changed since we are getting to know each other better so we make the adequate adjustments. Also, as a teacher or main facilitator, I have found great relief in presenting myself truly and acknowledging my own learning path by accepting that I don't know everything, but most importantly, that I don't need to know everything. I'm still learning and there are questions that I haven't asked myself. So when they ask, I thank them For giving me a new perspective. I think of this as a way to model how we can lead others so they feel more confident when working with their classmates and assuming a leading role inside smaller teams. For this reason, it is important to give all members tools to speak up, stand up for themselves and others, and make sure they all see themselves represented in the materials. In this sense, It is also important to create networks outside the team that will help us understand better our goal by recognizing our role not only inside our team, but also as part of a bigger community and challenging our team's impact on social on social change. As I said before, the little steps are the ones that will maintain the team checking in their well-being every class, explaining how every task will contribute to the common goal, giving clear roles, affirming the unspoken rules and contributing each day to the construction of a safe space. Because creating a team is not a one-time thing, but a continuous effort to make sure that everybody feels respected and seen from the beginning to the end.
1: So much of what we hear there resonates with me. Checking in constantly matters so much and our efforts to focus on teams have to be ongoing. Last but not least, we get to hear from Suki Covell who talks to us about the power for interdependence in the early years.
7: My name is Suki Covell. I teach first grade in Yakima, Washington. My students and I co-create our classroom culture in the following ways. One, I greet students when they enter the classroom each morning. Two, at our school we use zones of regulation. So in our morning meeting, we discuss which zone students are in. Blue is sad, bored, or tired. Green is focused and ready to learn. Yellow is they are frustrated, worried, or uh, frustrated, worried, or excited. Or red is if they were mad or out of control. And once we have discussed what zone they are in, then we discuss how we can help our friends transition from blue yellow or red to green, so that everyone can be ready to learn. At the beginning of the year, students help create class rules. After rules are created, students sign a class code using a sharpie marker agreeing to follow the rules. And then if they are not following the rules throughout the year, I remind them that they signed this code agreeing to follow the rules. Students help each other navigate Google Classroom, and I also have them ask other students at their table group for help before asking me. I find that students often can help each other much more than they think they can, and then it gives them ownership of the classroom. All year long, we focus on how we are a school family I emphasize how we all have to do our part to show Mustang pride and pride stands for problem solver, respect, integrity, determined, and effort, and how we have to show that Mustang pride to help our classroom run smoothly.
1: The thing that really stands out to me there is that we can learn and start learning early that a community is strong when a community practices helping and supporting each other. What lessons have you learned about co-creating a culture of learning? If you are looking for ideas and resources, please do check out our free guide that focuses on that. Again, I want to thank the educators who share their critical insight on this episode. They have each left me with a lot to think about. And remind you once again, we'd love to have your voice on the podcast as well. So reach out to us. I was in a second grade classroom the other day. And a teacher was saying, sharing is caring. So folks, share your voice with others because sharing your voice is one way we support each other as an educational community. You never know the impact you could have. If you do try any of the ideas out of our free guide, Co-Creating Classroom Culture, please do send us an email at info@shiftingschools.com and let us know how it went. As I get ready to sign off, I just wanted to remind you that we have a free live streaming webinar on YouTube this afternoon. That's September 27th at 3 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. That's GMT minus seven. If you have been thinking about collaboration and how teams can work together to build a vision for the year, this webinar is for you. You can learn all about it right on the homepage at shiftingschools.com. And if you can't join us live, look for the recording on our webinar page under the resource section of the website. Thanks, as always, for listening. Our listener base has grown, and I know that is because generous educators like you have been sharing our show, and I can't tell you how much that has meant to my team and I. Have a great week, and until next time, I'll see you on the network.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Shifting Our Schools. If you found this episode helpful or inspiring, please make sure to subscribe and leave the team a five-star rating. If you want to learn more about the Shifting Schools team or download our free resources, head over to shiftingschools.com to see what's on offer now. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode to keep rethinking the shifts our schools need.